0: But this morning, I want to share some thoughts with you. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn with me to Judges chapter 6. I'll get there in a minute, and, uh, but I'll give you some time to find it in case you may not know where that is. Um, but we're going to spend the entire service in Judges 6 and Judges 7 this morning. And uh, I think I have one verse that's outside of those two chapters. And so if you go to Judges 6, we're going to just walk through it. And uh, so I've got some things uh, this morning to share with you. Obviously, it's Father's Day. And uh, so I wanted to share with the men this morning, and uh, so specifically, uh, my title this morning is Mighty Men. And uh, I believe that uh, it's one of the things, and I think as a, as a pastor, it's one of the things that I, I really want to champion in our church is, is strong, godly men. Not just strong men, but godly men. And I believe that, that you can be a godly man, but that doesn't necessarily automatically make you a mighty man either. And uh, many times there's a process that God will do. And, uh, you know, but, so I want to share some things along the lines of, of being a mighty man today. And uh, we're going to use the account of Gideon uh, to kind of, I'm going to pull out some points and some things here uh, from the story of Gideon that I believe will be a blessing to our men, but also to you ladies. There's some truths here that you can take hold of as well. And so you don't have to worry that I'm not just talking to the men this morning, uh, but I am going to be speaking directly to them. But ladies, you can grab hold of the truths as well. I want to share a quote with you from Billy Graham. How many of you know who Billy Graham was? Maybe the greatest evangelist, maybe, ever. We won't really know till heaven, but it'll probably be somebody we've never heard of because it'll be in some nation where they can't even preach. But uh, this is a quote from Billy Graham that I came across a couple years ago, and I thought it was so good. And because it's Billy Graham, how can you not just take it for it's Billy Graham? And uh, so he says, A good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. A good father is one of the the most unsung, unpraised, and unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. You know, some of you probably know this, but I grew up for years in church. I would be in the sound booth. I was the guy doing the the sound and the lights and kind of all the technicals. You know, and, and here's the thing about, and this is sometimes why I give those guys love, because a lot of times they get no attention until something goes wrong, and then everybody goes, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it goes wrong, and then they're like, well, what are y'all doing? It's like, I've been perfect for three months, and we had one second of feedback, and everybody's like, do your job, you know. And, you know, and I think sometimes that that is actually what it's like being a man in our culture. Because yeah. we're never really acknowledged for a lot of the good, but we get blamed for a lot of the bad. You know, and I believe that, that that's just, number one, it's just not good. Uh, I, I, I think being highly critical uh, of a man isn't good. Why? Because men actually thrive where there's honor and respect. As, as a, you, may, you may be here and uh, you, maybe you're a child or maybe you're a, a, a wife to a husband or whatever it may be. And if you want to get more out of your man, this is how you do it. Celebrate him. Quit nagging and start celebrating. And you'll be surprised. Why? Because he wants to measure up. It, 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 we're hardwired like this. And we are. We honor and respect. You want more out of us? Do that. And you will watch us rise up. And I would say that God could actually use, especially for you wives in here, that God would what? Use you as the voice to call out the destiny in your husband. But what? That's going to take some faith. Why? Because you have to speak what you cannot see. Right? Sometimes. Sometimes. But I'm telling you, God will use you. And so, but, I, you know, so this morning I want to share some things. And I'm sure many of you have probably heard of the story of Gideon. If you grew up around church, you've probably heard about Gideon. And some of you probably think when I say Gideon, you think of the little Bibles in the in the motels. Like, how many of you know what a Gideon Bible is? A little, little Bible in the nightstands in many hotels and But in reality, he's much more than that. He's the classic example of somebody that God uses. Why? Because he's a farm boy who became a national hero. Now, we don't know a lot about that side of the story. We just many times know about the beginning of the story. But it was really against incredible odds that he what saved his nation. He was this, uh, you know, and so let me give you a little backstory as to what's going on. And then I'm going to read some scripture to give you the context of it. But really at this point in history, at this time, Israel was really at one of its lowest points as a nation. Uh, God had delivered them, brought them out of Egypt. They went into the promised land and then they really had walked, turned away from God. And so because of that, their land really just got overrun with other nations. And, uh, and so it really began to go into a pretty dark period uh, in Israel's history. And so, but when we come to uh, Judges chapter 6, specifically Israel has fallen into uh, the hands of a nation named Midian for about seven years. And so starting in verse 1 of Judges 6, it gives us a little bit of, uh, of the story behind this. But, so I'm going to read uh, six verses here. It says, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel uh, that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, the caves, the strongholds. It says, Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders or thieves would come in and, from Midian and Amalek and the people of the east, and they would attack Israel. So in other words, they let them do all the hard work, And when harvest started coming, they invaded. That's really what's going on here. And it says that they would camp in the land and they would destroy the crops as far as Gaza. It says they left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, the goats, the cattle, the donkeys. It says these enemy hordes coming with their livestock and their tents were as thick as locusts. So they just infiltrated the land. It says they arrived on droves of camels. Too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. That sounds pretty hopeless, doesn't it? I mean, you work. I mean, how frustrating is it if you, you know, I'm not a gardener, but if you'd worked all year getting your garden right, keeping it, you know, keeping all the weeds out, and you've got all your beautiful plants, and you're about ready to harvest it, and your neighbor comes in and just squats in the middle of your garden and just starts eating everything, that would not be a good neighbor. I mean, can you imagine? Well, imagine that on a mass scale. We're literally, there is nothing left to eat. And it says, so Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. It says, then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. So they're smart. in verse 1, it says that they had, what, turned their backs on God. And in verse uh, 6, they're looking, going, hey, this ain't working out too good for us. So in in verse 6, they cry out to the Lord saying, help. And, And so this is the way God always works, though. God always works with people. They cried out to the Lord and God started looking for a person. That's the way God works. He always works through people. Now, it's still God doing the work, but he needs what? People to work through. He can't do it without us, which I'll say it this way. It's probably not the right way. He could do it without us. He chooses not to. He doesn't want to do it without us. And, and so I'm going to give you here in the next couple of verses, I'm going to give you five takeaways from these next five or six verses. So we're going to go through these pretty quick. So it's five takeaways from the encounter where we first get introduced to Gideon. It's really the call of God on Gideon for this moment. Because the nation of Israel has been decimated. They're starving. I mean, this is like drought, famine, put it all together. That's the nation of Israel. And so it picks up, we're going to pick up in verse 11. And it says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Orpho, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Bezer. It says, Gideon... Son of Joash was threshing wheat in the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. Now, let me give you a little understanding. Let me give you a little context of what's going on here. Midian, Gideon is in a hole trying to thresh wheat. Here's one thing you need to thresh wheat wind. Why? Because you throw it up in the air, the wind blows away the lightweight stuff, and the grain falls back down. He's in a hole. So to kind of put this into modern day understanding, go back to middle school. Okay, so go there in your mind. You there? Go back to middle school. There's been a bully picking picking on you, taking your lunch every day. You're hiding out in the bathroom, sitting on the toilet with your feet up, hoping nobody sees you just trying to eat your lunch. Gideon is hiding from bullies. So... That might help you connect with it a little bit more. Maybe you were the bully taking people's lunch. Shame on you. You need to ask the Lord to forgive you. But that's what's happening. Gideon is just trying to get something to eat. He's hiding out. So my first takeaway is this, is that God went and found Gideon in a hole. God is looking specifically today, and as I said, I'm going to speak to the men today, God is looking for men to to rise up. He's looking for men who will rise up and will, even though in all of their insufficiency, will say, God, if you want to use me, I'll say yes. I ain't got it. I can't do it. But if you want to use me, you said you were looking for somebody. Okay, I'll be that guy if you want. I don't have to have it all figured out. I'll just trust you. But sign me up. Don't know what I'm signing up for, but that's okay. I trust you. So God is looking for that. In verse 12, it goes on. It says, The angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Mighty hero. Wait a second. I thought this guy was hanging out in the bathroom stall. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Mighty hero. Another translation would say this. is that He um, says, Mighty man of valor. I and mean, that just sounds like awesome, doesn't it? Mighty man of courage. Wait, you're the wimp hanging out, hiding. What are you talking like? Courage? I'm not that guy. So here's my takeaway, men, is that God sees us differently than we see ourselves. So don't discount yourself when God has not. And let me say it this way, is that you need to believe what God says about you more than what you think about you. Because God sees in you what you cannot see in you. And it's important, why? Because the angel speaks to him and and, and from a Anytime that you see where it says angel of the Lord, many theologians would tell you they believe that's Jesus. Because there's certain designations that Jesus appears throughout the Old Testament to different people. And many times it's as the angel of the Lord. And yet, here he is, standing before him and calling him a mighty hero. What's actually happening is God is declaring the destiny of Gideon why he's a wimp. Said, hey, you're a mighty hero, even though you're wimpy today. You may not be anything to look at today, but that's okay. I'm not looking at your today. I'm looking into the future at who I have for you to be. So God sees us differently. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27 says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. That's important. You weren't anything when God called you. You didn't have anything in the natural to look at and be like, oh, that's the guy. You want to take this to a step further? Think about David. All of his brothers were looked at, and Samuel the prophet looks and is like, hey, this one has to be the man. Look at this guy. He's tall, he's strong, he's handsome. Goes all the way through. Every Oh, this one has to be, this one has to be, this one has to be. Hey, do you have another son? Yeah, I got a redheaded, freckle-faced boy out in the field. Yeah, call him in here. Oh, that's the one anointing him. God doesn't look at what we look at. He says, instead, God chose what the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think that they are wise. And he chose those that are powerless to shame those who think they are powerful. God God's qualification for his using you is not based on our standard. Quite the opposite. God says, I, wanna, I, I vote on the long shot every time. I've told you all this many times. I failed speech three times in college, three, three times. Third time's the charm. No, it wasn't. (laughs) No, it was not. And yet God called me to preach. Why? Because it's, I could not put a sentence together. Just freeze up. Why would God call me to preach? Because I couldn't do it. So it makes me rely upon him, right? So God, many times will call you in the very area that you feel the weakest and the most unqualified. And God said, that's okay. That's how, that's where I'm gonna show up. That's that, because everybody's gonna know that, that had to be God. It had to be. Verse 13, the story continues with Gideon. and He says, so Gideon replies and says, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? That's a great question. Have you ever ask God that question? God, why is this happening? We can look at our culture and say, why is our culture falling apart in many ways, it seems like. It's because God is looking for men. He's looking for men to, to stand up, men to stand in the gap. Because we have a lot of fatherless children. So you may be here and be a man, and you may say, yeah, but I, my kids are grown and gone. Go find you some new ones then. There's a lot of orphan kids who need a fatherly figure. And you can be that in a godly way that you can actually impart a godly legacy into children that may not biologically be yours. So don't discount yourself. You may be a a step-parent or a stepfather that has stepped into the role of father. Do it with all of your heart. Why? Because you will be God and the reflection of God in that moment. Why has this happened? Because God is looking, at, to the old term from the movie, for a few good men, except we need a lot more than a few. We need men who know God, who walk with God, who walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, that are willing to fight the fight of faith for our families, for those in our influence. God is looking for men. Why? Because when men don't stand, things fall apart. It's true. It's true. We see it in the church for years and years and years. Many times, we as men have what delegated the church to the women. And it's why our kids have left the church. So we as men have to what stand up, rise up. You're like, man, I'm at church. Thank you. But just coming to church by itself isn't enough. We've got to rise. We've got to rise. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit to to come and to partner with us, to make us into something that we can never be without him. Sorry, that's my little soapbox. Let me get back to some scripture. Why has all of this happened to us? And, And where are all the miracles of our ancestors that they told us about? Didn't they say that the Lord brought us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Verse 14, says, then the Lord turned to him and said, this is such an amazing statement, go in the strength that you have and rescue Israel. Wait, I thought you said God was gonna come and help me. And yet God is telling him, go in the strength that you ha- I have no strength. I'm hiding out in a hole trying to get some lunch. What do you mean strength that I have? I'm starving And yet God says, go in the strength that you have and go rescue your nation. What? I mean, this is crazy. And yet God tells him, go in the strength that you have. I have no strength. And God says, but what you do have is enough for everything that we may use as an excuse as men to say why we can't do what God has called us to do, God says, you've already got it in you. It's gonna take a step of faith to step into it and say, God, I don't have this, but your grace is sufficient for me to do what you've called me to do and to be who you've called me to be, to influence who you've called me to influence. You are enough in me. Go in the strength that you have. Rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. My third takeaway is you may have strength that you don't even know about. And it's amazing. Why? Because until you need it, why do you need to know about it? There are times that the Lord has asked me to do stuff and my first thought is I can't do that. And then I do it and I'm like, I can't believe I just did that. Why? Because there was something or better yet, someone on the inside of me who is the Holy Spirit, who enabled me to do what I could never do. And it's not just great heroic acts. Maybe it's a moment where the enemy punches me and I rise up against it. And I say, devil, you're not gonna affect my family. You're not gonna take my marriage. You're not gonna have my kids. You're not gonna bring sickness into my household. No, I have some strength and I'm gonna step up into some faith and say, devil, no. I'm gonna fight for my family. I'm not just gonna get punched and lay down. No, I'm going to stand up. And if I get knocked down, the Bible says in Proverbs that the righteous get back up. It says, though they get knocked down, though they will rise. I don't have to stay down. You may have messed up. You say, man, I've disqualified myself. Well, that's maybe your opinion, but God has not said that about you. Go in the strength that you have and you'll do some things that you've never thought you could do. You have more ability in you than you realize. You have more wisdom in you than you realize. You have more of God on the inside of you than you realize. But you have to go first. It's not wait till I'm ready. No, you go. And God will make sure that he's there to back you up. Verse 15 goes on. It says, Gideon responds. It says, but Lord, how can I rescue Israel? Typical response. My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. My fourth takeaway is this, is God doesn't look at our present situation to determine our future. You can use it as an excuse to cop out, but God doesn't care about that. He says, no, I've got something better, and the fact that that your starting point may not look great might be the very reason I'm knocking on your door. Why? Because I want to confound people with what I'm about to do. In verse 16, the Lord says to him, says, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal. But let me i will give you why that's such a big deal here in a moment. Here's my fifth thing. My fifth takeaway is to be a mighty man. You're going to have to trust God is with you. You're going to have to trust that God is with you. God's never left you. He's never forsaken you. Even in your worst moments, God is there with you. And why did he place you there? So you could do something about it. God uses deliverers throughout Scripture. You're like, I don't know if I believe that. Okay, we all understand this. Then why did Jesus have to come in the form of a person to die the death of the cross to, to bring about salvation? God uses people. So Jesus had to come, and, the, and now there's a lot of back to that, but but the reality is, is that God still had to use a person. So to be a mighty man, it's going to require some obedience on our part. That means to step when He says step. It doesn't mean figure it out and then step. See, I'm analytical. I, I want to figure it out. I want to have my plan. I want to have my, my my boxes checked. And here's the thing. When God asks you to do something, let me just settle it for you. It's going to be intimidating. You won't feel ready. My God, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for this. But you just got to start where you are. So I want to give you a couple points this morning, men. That, and we're going to continue walking through the story of Gideon. Because I believe that there's some keys here that will be universal for all of us. That we can pull out. So here's one of the, my my first key, if you will, to being a mighty man of God is that it starts at home first. Let me just be real up front. Don't try to come to church and be somebody that you're not at home. Don't try to come here and be the superhero Christian father, husband, man that you feel like you're supposed to be at church. If you're not fulfilling that role with your family first, it starts at home. Why? Because that's your character. That's who you really are. And it matters. It matters. But that's, in a sense, that's your proving ground. God wants you to lead it home first. In Judges chapter 6, verse 25, it says The Lord, now we're skipping some verses here just for the sake of time, but I, I just was trying to. Squeeze as much in, and yet not have too much content. So I'm skipping some verses, but God had given him some instructions. But then he comes and he tells Gideon a second instruction. He says that night the Lord said to Gideon, "Take the second bull from your father's herd, and one um, and one that is seven years old." He says, "Put pull down your father's altar to Baal." Now that's important. Pull down your father's idol pull down pull down this altar that's really he says and cut down the asherah pole standing beside it he didn't tell him to pull it up he said cut it in other words you can't repair it because you cut it tear down the altar cut the what that's that was a, a place of worship to a foreign god to Baal. and he said go in there and take this bull and i want you to create a new altar in the place. In other words, move Baal aside and say, No, the true and the living God will be worshiped in our house. It goes on, and it says, God gives me more instructions. It says, And build an altar to the Lord. It says, Your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, or build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. I mean, in other words, there's no going back. Some of you men in this room might be that man in your family that you didn't have a father. You've not had godly figures in your life and yet you're changing the destiny of your family. You're changing your family legacy. Why? Because you've torn down those altars. Maybe it was of whatever society wants to sell us as men and say, these things are gonna make you happy. And you say, no, I'm gonna have an altar to the Lord in my house. As for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. And you may be this man, and you may think, well, that's not that big a deal. You have no idea how generationally you may be changing your family. You may have come from a lineage of passive men. And you say, no, I'm going to rise up and be who God has called me to be. I'm going to live in a spirit of faith that I'm going to lead my family. I'm going to lead my kids. I'm going to lead those around me. And you're changing the destiny of your family, and you don't even realize it. You're like, well, what could I really do? Oh, I don't know, change a few generations of your family. That's kind of a big deal. Why? Because your influence will outlive you. That's pretty good. See, as men, we have that ability to do that. We do. So it goes on and it says, so Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. Now we don't even fully contextually understand this, but let me give you a modern day example of what this would be like. It would be like a Muslim going into their family's home, tearing down everything that would profess Allah and putting up the cross. It's a death sentence. To to most Muslims in the world, it's, it's a death sentence to do that. That's what Gideon just did. And he said, but he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his family's household and the people of the town. See, here's the thing is that if we wait until we're not afraid, we'll never do anything. God didn't say, Gideon, don't be afraid. Go and tear it down. He just said, go and tear it down. And Gideon's like, uh. I mean, he's nervous. He's nervous. I found this quote from a World War II general named Omar Bradley. He said, Bravery is the capacity to perform properly even when half scared to death. I love that. Dare's grandfather was a gunner that flew over Normandy. So he watched one of the most epic moments of modern history happen from a glass bowl holding a gun. He'd hum a little song, God's going to take care of me. God's going to take care of me. I think he was probably scared. I mean, there's bullet holes going through every, every, everywhere on the plane. But real bravery is the ability to act even and act properly, to respond properly, even when you're half scared to death. It's okay. See, Gideon was obedient even in that moment. Gideon was obedient even dear in that moment. In Judges six twenty nine, the people, the city, all these family members begin to ask, who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. Bring out your son, the men of the town demanded. It says he must die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the Asherah pole. But Joash, his father, shouted to the mob that confronted him and says, why are you defending Baal? will you argue his case whoever pleads his case will be put to death by mourning. if baal is, tr- is if baal truly is god let him defend himself that's a good answer and if he's really god just let him defend himself and destroy the one who tore down the altar from then on see gideon, because of what gideon did he actually his identity changed gideon was called jerubbaal which means let def- let baal defend himself because he tore down baal's al- altar See, obedience is not the, does, it, it doesn't require the absence of fear. What it does, though, is that courage gives you the ability to act beyond fear. Faith, I mean, that, that's something on the inside of us. Here's the second point. You don't have to go looking for a fight. It'll come to you. It'll come to you. You ain't got to go find it. Sometimes as men, we want to go, like, look for a fight, you know. It's just something kind of you know like all right, man I'm I'm god I'll do it I man, I'm ready to go where's my fight you ain't got to go find it. it it'll come we have an enemy it, it'll come judges 633 I don't remember I put these verses yeah I did it says soon afterward the armies of midian amalek and the people of the east formed an alliance against israel and crossed the jordan camping in the valley of jezreel that doesn't sound like a lot it's 135,000 troops Warriors are coming, knocking on the door saying, hey, we're coming for you, Israel. We're coming. And in Judges six thirty four, it says, then the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. Love that. Clothed him like putting on a jacket. He clothed him with power and he blew the ram's horn as a call to arms and the men of the clan of um, Abizer came to him. See, all of a sudden what happened is that that was a game-changing moment. Why? Because it wasn't just Gideon anymore. Now God's power was upon Gideon. But he had to what? Take a step of faith before he he, he could even recognize that God was actually working with him. See, here's my third thing. To be a mighty man of God, it's going to take some faith. And that's a pretty way of saying you're going to have to have some guts about you. You're going to have to be willing to just lean in when it's hard, not back up. There's risk involved. God's going to ask you as a man. He's going to challenge you and say, will you rise up or will you shrink back? Which one? He's looking for men who will rise up. In Judges chapter 7, starting in verse 1, it says, so Gideon and his army got up. So now Gideon's got an army. He's got some men with him. And he went as far as the spring of Herod. It says, the, the armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of, of Mora." It says, and the Lord said to, to, get, to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. Now, we don't even know how many warriors he has yet, but he says, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they save themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. Which is funny to me because wasn't Gideon just afraid? And now... Gideon's given the charge. Hey, any of you that are, that are afraid, which tells me Gideon couldn't have been afraid anymore. He had to what? He was now clothed with power. He had what recognized God's hand was upon him. And he says, any of you that are afraid, go home. 22,000 say, see you later. Great. So, so 22,000 of them leave or go home, leaving only 10,000. So when God, when God said, Gideon, you're going to take on this army. There are 130 whatever thousand people. Gideon blows his horn, and 32,000 men show up. Praise God, we're still at number number four to one. Praise, woo! This is going to be awesome. It's going to be epic. And God's like, "Oh, it will be," but the story's not done yet. So he's got 10,000 people willing to fight. But the Lord told Gideon, "There are still too many." At this point, Gideon's got to be like going, "Like God, are you serious?" Now I'm outnumbered 13 to 1, and you're telling me i still got too many folks. He says, bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took down his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. Now I'm going to skip some of this. He says, basically, those who go down like this and drink out of the river, that's going to be one group. And those who do this, that's another group. Divide them into two groups. Says So all those who got down on their hands and knees and would drink, he says, that these are the 300 men... That I will rescue and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So he starts out with 32,000. Now he's down to 300. I don't know the odds on that. It's a long shot. 300. Oh, here. I did, I did do the math. It's 450 to 1. I need each of you guys to go kill about 500 people. It'd be awesome. <laughs> it's gonna be amazing. <laughs> like, what? Oh, my fourth point, I already said this, but it's worth repeating. It's that faith is not the absence of fear, it's the ability to overcome it. Fear really it can paralyze you, or you can use it like a, a springboard. But it's up to us. Faith allows us to overcome our fears. It will. It will allow us to overcome it if we will what? Lean into it and allow the Lord to clothe us with power. It's not something we do on our, in our of ourselves. It, it's the Lord and, and his help in our life that's going to help us. Starting back in verse 9 of Judges 7, it says, that night the Lord said, get up, go down to the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. Now we've already seen that Gideon He's not the most brave man on the planet, yet God is working with him. And yet God says, but if you're afraid to go attack. How many of you know if God asks you a question, he already knows the answer. (laughs) He's not waiting for the answer. He already knows it. He says, if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant. He says, listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged, and then you will be eager to attack. God says, Gideon, I know you're freaked out right now, so I'm going to give you a little peace of mind, just you and your servant, go down there and just listen to him talk. And you're gonna be encouraged and you'll be, you'll be ready to go after that. But Gideon, I know you're not ready right now because you're scared to death. Just go down there. And so what happens is they go down there and there's a dream and this guy's like having this dream and he interprets and says, oh man, surely the Lord is with Israel. They're gonna come. And so in verse 15, it says that when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and began to worship before God. Oh God, you've given us victory God's like, I, 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 I've told you that since, since the hole. Remember? Remember, I, I found you trying to scratch out some lunch and I told you I was gonna use you to rescue Israel. Do, yeah, but now, 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 after Gideon has been tested with his army, after he's been tested tearing down the altar, after he's been tested watching all these thousands of men leave, now Gideon is what? He's like, oh, we got this. He bowed down and began to worship God. See, that, that's what happens. When God brings you to a place, you realize, I couldn't get here. There, there's no way I got here by myself. And it will cause you to begin to worship God. Why? Because that's, that's really the only response. There is no other response. So, so Gideon returns to the uh, Israelite camp and shouted, get up! He's bold now. He's like Spartacus, you know. Come on, 300, let's go. He says, get up, for the Lord has given us victory over the Midianite hordes. Here's my fifth final point for you, men. This is what you have to know, and this is so important. Is that the battle is the Lord's, it's not ours. As men, we have a way of, of taking on the weight of taking on the pressures of, of being a husband, of being a father, of being a leader. And we can allow that to become an oppressive weight on us that, will, what, that the enemy will try to slow us down and to keep us from leaning in to who God really has for us. But this is what we always have to keep in mind, is that God, you are the one who clothed me. You're the one who called me. You're the one who equipped me. This is not my battle. I'm just the one you're working through, but this is your battle See, we think we have to do something. No, we just have to be available and a funnel that God can work through to create change. He's just looking for people to work through. In Judges chapter seven, verse twenty-two, it says, "When the three hundred Israelites blew the ram's horn, the Lord caused the Lord, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. They begin to turn on one another right there." In, a bunch of them got killed there, and they went and ran off, and then the 300 went and chased the rest of them down. Standing before Goliath, David makes this statement in 1 Samuel 17, 47. He says, when everyone was assembled, or he says, and everyone assembled here will know, this is David is speaking to Goliath. So this is when Goliath is like, who am I that you sent a, a child, a, just, you know, he's like, am I a dog that you send a, a boy out here to fight me? And this is David is speaking back to him. And he says, and everyone will know, because he says, hey, today I'm gonna take your head off. So this is coming after that. He says that everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and not with spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give it to us. So if you really wanna get down to the key behind David and Goliath, it wasn't that David was some great warrior, although he was skilled. He knew God, he walked with God, he did have a skill set. But that skill set alone, I mean, I've read all kinds of stories where people are like, oh, a shepherd can fling a stone at this fast. Goliath also had a helmet on. There's no way that, I don't believe that a stone would pierce his helmet. But yet there was more than a rock that was being flung at that man. Why? Because it's what David said. This is the Lord's battle. There was more than a rock going through the air. There was an angel of God right behind it. Boom! And down he went. Why? But David understood, You're not, this isn't my giant. This is God's giant, and I'm just the one standing here that God's going to use to take you out. See, that, there's a big difference. Because if David walks out there going, <laughs> Praise the Lord, i got five rocks. Maybe I can fling them and run. <laughs> like, but David had an understanding it's not about this sling and it's not about this stone it is that this is the Lord's battle and I'm trusting him so men don't trust in yourself it's not your battle to fight it's your battle to win it's not your battle to fight not in that sense we trust God God you're going to give me the wisdom I need you're going to give me the understanding I need you're going to give me everything that I need to walk through this this is what it takes to be a man of God, a mighty man of God. Is that You have to understand this battle's not yours. You got you to sign up. You got to enlist and say, all right, God, here I am. I'm willing to be used. I'm willing and, man, and, and I'll do the things that, that I need to do and, and I'll take the steps and I'll deal with the fear in my life and, and all of these questions that I have. But at the end of the day, if it's your fight, you can't win it. We always have to be reminded that it's the Lord's fight, is that we are godly men, but we represent a Savior. We we represent one who has gone before us, and we're to be that that light of righteousness to our family, to our friends, to, to those in our sphere of influence of what a godly man looks like. And when we when we do it the way that God has shown us, because you you can see this pattern in multiple passages of scripture. I could have picked multiples, but there's some key things here that I wanted to pull out from the passages of Gideon. Is that he had that understanding that this isn't our fight, guys. He thought it was, and that's why he was afraid. He was afraid because he thought, I have to defeat this army. And when he went down there and heard the interpretation of the dream, which is that the Lord has handed us over to them, it clicked in Gideon, and all of a sudden he realized, this ain't my fight. That's a freeing moment. Because all we have to do is trust in that moment and say, all right, God, I'm here, just tell me what to do. I'll go do it, it doesn't matter. As long as I do what you tell me to do, you're going to take care of the rest. And you got this. Would would all the men just stand up? I know maybe not all of you are fathers, but would the men stand up? I want to share a verse with you, and I want to pray over you this morning. I want to share a verse with you specifically. In Proverbs 20, verse 7, out of the Amplified Bible, it says that the righteous man who walks in integrity and lives life in accord with his godly beliefs, how blessed, how happy, And how spiritually secure are his children after him who have his example to follow? See, men, you've been called into leadership. Every single one of you. You're like, how do I know that? Because you're a man. I believe that with everything in me. Every man is called to lead at some level, somewhere, for God. There are no exceptions to this rule. And the Bible says here is that when a man lives a life of integrity based on his beliefs, that happy, blessed, and I love this part that damn Amphite adds, spiritually secure will your kids be. Not perfect, but they'll be spiritually secure. And they'll be able to follow after your example. So men, I want to charge you a little bit this morning. I want to, I'm specific, I have a specific thing that I wrote out as a prayer over us, but I believe that it's not just my words, but I also believe that it's the heart of God for you today. And so I'm going to pray this over us. And so let's pray together. Dear heavenly father, I ask you to strengthen our hearts and to renew our strength. Father, I thank you that your grace is truly all that we need. Help us to step into your grace on our lives as we lead. As we lead as your sons, as we lead as men, as we lead as husbands, as we lead as fathers. To our kids, to those that you would bring under our influence. Father, we want to represent you to those around us. Father, help us to be strong in our faith, bold in our convictions. And tender as you are with us. Father, mold us into your image that we would glorify you with our lives. Father, I thank you for your grace that's upon every one of us. Father, that you would clothe us with ability, that you would clothe us with power. Father, that we recognize that this fight is not our fight. Father, that we're called to the battlefield. But, Father, this fight is your fight. But, Father, we are your army. Father, that we would rise up in this moment, Father, that we'll answer the call to lead our, those around us, to lead our families, our spouses, our children, maybe even those who aren't necessarily our biological kids, but Father, that you would give us influence and the ability to lead in a way that we've never seen or thought that we could do. So Father, I thank you, Father, that by the Holy Spirit that you tear down every lie of the enemy that has been bought into, into our hearts. Father, that we would see clearly who you've called us to be. And Father, I thank you, Father, for your ability on the inside of every one of us that causes us to be victorious, that causes us to be full of wisdom and understanding. Father, we give you honor and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we honor these men this morning? You know, there's a a lot of places that you men could be today, and yet you're here in the house of God. That's important. It's important and you guys are worthy of honor. And I just want you to know that today is that God is pleased with you. Your heavenly father is pleased with you. You have nothing left to prove to him. Why? Because Jesus has paid the price and we can do everything because of that that God has called us to. You guys can go ahead and have your seats this morning. You know. I,